Well, good morning, Gospel City Church. How are we doing today? Anyone excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? All right, 11 o'clock's with me. That's good. Uh, if you've been coming at all over the past month, then you've heard uh, Pastor Trent say in this series called Take a Step, this phrase, disciple-making churches create discipleship pathways that encourage disciples to take a step. And how we're measuring that at Gospel City Church as disciples are people who glorify God, who gather in the body of believers who grow in Christ Jesus and then who go. And uh, maybe you came expecting to hear the go message today, uh, but Pastor Trent threw a curveball at us and uh, he's asked me to talk about gathering to glorify. Specifically, we're talking about the vital practice of every disciple of corporate worship. Go figure. They got the worship guy to talk about worship once again. I'm excited. But man, the Lord has been uh, restoking the fires in my heart this week uh, of, of what he laid on my heart even 10 years ago. And it's just been such a great week soaking in these truths. Um, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We're going to anchor all of this in verses 19 through 24 of John chapter 4. But we'll jump around a little bit today, but we'll anchor it all right here. If you've been coming to Gospel City Church since the beginning, you know that we have uh, four pillars. And the second of those four pillars is lifting high the name of Jesus in worship. Abbreviated, we say that we want to be a church that is unashamed in our adoration. And all of that is anchored right here in John chapter 4. Okay? And uh, this is so important, the people of God lifting the praises of God in the house of God. And so we're going to read in John chapter 4. Let me give you just a quick reminder. Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. So as this Samaritan woman is drawing water for Jesus, Jesus begins to tell her about the living water that only he can supply. And right before where we're about to pick up in verse 19, Jesus kind of calls out this woman's sin. And he's like, you actually had five husbands, and right now you're in an adulterous relationship. I think it's interesting that their conversation, their conversation didn't end right there. Like, Jesus didn't lose one ounce of his kindness, even in confronting her sin. Jesus is both kind and sin-confronting. That's probably another sermon, but I just love that about our Savior. But let's pick it up in verse 19 together, okay? Here we go. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So when God, when Jesus here is talking and prescribing the kind of worship that is important to God, uh, he starts talking about spirit and truth. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But let me pull three key words out of this passage for you before we dive in uh, to the spirit and truth stuff. All right. In verse 23, it says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers, true worshipers is the first word I would pull out. Jesus is not interested in false worship. 
Jesus isn't interested in fake worshipers. If worship is a response to truth, if worship is bowing down before the object of our praise, if worship is ascribing worth to something, Jesus is only interested in that which ascribes worth to his heavenly father who is in glory. And yet because we were created to worship, isn't it so easy to settle for lesser things? So often we take Jesus off of the throne of our heart and we begin to worship and settle for lesser gods. Any sin in our life is really just a worship malfunction. Have you ever thought of it that way? We get our eyes on the wrong thing and we begin to give worth to that which is not our savior. Jesus is interested in true worshipers, but here's uh, the second word I would pull out, the word seeking. In verse 23 again, True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Man, that is a big deal to me. That's something that the Lord impressed on my heart uh, whenever I was seeking him on what I wanted to do with my life. And here's what he was saying to me is, man, if, if the God of the universe would take time out of his busy schedule to scour the earth, to search the earth, to seek among the people of God for a specific kind of worshiper, then man, that better be high on our priority list. Amen? And the third word from verse 24, God is spirit. Those who worship him, the word must sticks out to me, must worship in spirit and in truth. Spirit and truth worship of God is not a suggested guideline, but that which is absolutely necessary for every disciple of Jesus. God doesn't separate his presence from his process. See, I think sometimes as the people of God, we don't necessarily need permission to go after God's glory, to pursue God in corporate worship. Sometimes we just need better equipped at the process that he has laid out for us in order to approach his throne. Today, I just wanna get practical with you and intentional with you about the way that at Gospel City Church, we try to create a path so that we can get to the feet of Jesus and truly worship him the way that he has called us to, okay? So I have three points for you and I got five steps that we're gonna build along the journey of worship. I don't care if you remember them as points or steps, I'm just trying to give you something that's helpful for you to follow along with, but let's get number one, okay? Number one, our worship has spirit. Our worship has spirit. I'm gonna read from John four one more time, just so we get it. Verse 23, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit. Let's talk about that word spirit. The word spirit is talking about your spirit and my spirit. I think it can be easy to read John 4 and think, well, we're talking about worship, so we must be talking about the Holy Spirit. Those two things go hand in hand, absolutely. But what Jesus is talking about here is your spirit and my spirit. He's talking about the deepest part of who we are. That is the level at which God wants to meet us on in worship. God wants to meet us on a soul level. Worship never starts with outward expression, but it always starts with inward transformation. It can be really easy to look the part, to raise a hand, to clap our hands, to sing a song, to check the box, come into church, and there not be anything going on inside. That's not what Jesus is interested in. 
Our worship has spirit. John MacArthur, a pastor that I respect on this verse, he says, Jesus' point here is that a person must worship not simply by external conformity to religious rituals and places outwardly, but we got to worship inwardly in spirit with the proper heart attitude. So that's where we get our first step in the journey of worship, okay? The first step is the attitude of access. The first step in the worship journey is the attitude of access. You just have to let yourself in to the attitude of access. And here's the thing. Sometimes you get greeted at church and the worship leader says, hey, welcome to Gospel City. Come on, let's put our hands together. We're here for the name of Jesus. And you're like, no, don't want nothing to do with that. I'm here, but I'm not, I don't want nothing to do with that, right? Anybody? Sometimes I see that happen. But, but listen, to, listen to some of the words in the book of Psalms that accompany entering the house of the Lord, okay? Psalm 100 says this, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Come into his courts with praise. Psalm 122 says, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. So you got to get the attitude of access. The process in the Old Testament was the tabernacle. The first step was simply just entering the tabernacle. You had to make a decision to walk into the tabernacle. And, and you can be in this place. You can be in a seat. But you can never allow your spirit to be engaged by the praise that's going on around you. It doesn't mean you have to be chipper. It doesn't mean you have to be necessarily happy. Maybe you brought burdens into this place. Maybe you had a really hard week. Maybe you experienced loss. I want to read something that encouraged me this week. Psalm 122 is David. Let me read it to you. Sorry, Psalm 42. It says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And then listen to what David writes. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? So David finds himself in a hard place. David finds himself maybe in some depression. David finds himself stuck in the mundane of the week. But then listen to what he writes in verse four. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng, that's a lot of people, and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. David calls himself up out of depression, remembering the gathering of the people of God in worship. This gathering every single week no matter what you're going through, it should spur, it should stoke some passion and some praise and some thanksgiving, even some gladness on our hardest days because we're surrounded by people who don't have life easy, but they have a great and mighty Savior. The human spirit is the control center of human emotion. A control center governed by the spirit of God can produce whole person engagement caught up in the glory and the adoration of our King Jesus. When worship becomes the attitude of my heart, it begins to form every action of my life. 
So if our worship has spirit, you better believe it's going to evoke some of emotion in us. Our emotions are a gift to our worship. They're a beautiful testimony of how God created us to express ourselves for his glory. A worship leader that I respect madly, his name is Bob Coughlin. He says this, the problem is emotionalism, not emotions. See, emotionalism pursues feelings as an end in themselves. It's wanting to feel something with no regard for how that feeling is produced or its ultimate purpose. Emotionalism can also view heightened emotions as the infallible sign that God is present. See, we're not chasing a feeling when we come to church. We're not going after uh, a frenzy of emotion where we work ourselves up and we feel like we met with God. What God's after is uh, his glory and his goodness and the people that he has called to praise, helping us with the attitude of access and it giving us the proper heart attitude. But man, if you let your spirit into that, it's not going to take long to get to our second step. The second step is the submission of surrender, okay? The submission of surrender. That means uh, at some point in worship, I'm going to have to submit to my need to surrender to God. When you got past the temple steps, the tabernacle, and you went in, to your right was the altar of sacrifice. And that's where you would... You'd fasten your sheep or your bull and you would pray and you'd transfer your sins to that animal. And that animal was slaughtered because there had to be bloodshed so that you could continue on into the house of the Lord. And that animal was burned on the altar. Who's thankful that Jesus took care of all of that for us? This place would smell a whole lot different if we were still doing that. But the point is, when you start to get the attitude of access and worship, once you've entered into his presence, once you've stepped into the praise of God's people where he delights in showing up, it won't take long for your need for him to be revealed. One of the first things that happens when we get our attitude in the place where we say, Lord, you can have your way is we're confronted with our own sinfulness. Think about Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah, before the throne of God, he hears the angels singing that vertical worship, adoration to God, and Isaiah can't join in. Isaiah stands back and he's like, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. I don't deserve to be in your presence. He's, he begins to submit to the surrender that is necessary for every disciple of Jesus when faced with the holiness of God. David in Psalm 51, convicted of his sin, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. God, cast me not away from thy presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Lord, you don't want my offering. You don't want my sacrifice. Lord, you don't want my song. The sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, this you will not despise. The holiness of God shines a light on the sinfulness of man and demands our immediate surrender. Not only does our worship have spirit, point number two this morning is this. Our worship is founded on truth. 
Our worship is founded on truth here at Gospel City Church. Let me read it one more time from John 4, verse 23. The hour is coming, and it's now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. If our worship is all spirit and no truth, that's emotionalism. That's not what the Lord's after. That's not what the Lord wants. But if our worship is all truth and no spirit, that's going to become stale and dead real quick. That's looking like I have it all together, looking like I have all the answers, talking like I have all the answers. But inwardly, I'm dead because there's nothing going on in my rock solid heart. God's after spirit and truth worship. So here's some truth for you today. Worship is not about us. What we, do, what we do here at Gospel City Church is not for you. Welcome to church. Nothing in this building is for us. There's not a single word in the Bible for worship that means ministry to mankind. And yet in our culture and in our day, worship has become a chart-topping commodity. Worship has become the backing track to many of our lifestyles. We listen to it when we worship, when we work out. We listen to it while we drive in the car. We listen to it while we clean our house. It's so motivational to us. Worship is an entertaining thing to watch and you can buy tickets to it. Listen, I love all those things. I actually do a lot of those things, but worship without truth is not worship at all. Worship has to be founded on truth. We don't worship worship. We worship the almighty God who is worthy of our praise. N.T. Wright, I love this. He says it this way. To enjoy worship for its own sake, simply out of cultural appreciation of the performance, would be like Moses coming upon a burning bush deciding to cook his lunch on it. <laughs> We're not chasing a feeling. We're not after uh, great worship music. or We're not entertaining ourselves with simply worship. We're trying to get in the presence of Jesus because he's worthy of our praise and he's worthy of us pouring out our souls because of what he's done. So if our worship is founded on truth, it has to be worship that is consistent with the revealed word of God. Worship has to be consistent with what his word says. Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So we got to let the word of Christ dwell in us and we teach one another, we admonish one another in all spiritual wisdom. There is no wisdom apart from the word of God. But then look, it's important enough for God to put it in his word that we should sing to one another, that we should sing with one another, that we should sing to the glory of God. He's not so concerned with the vehicle of our singing. He's not so concerned about the style. He's not so concerned about the way. He just says, sing psalms. That's the Israelite songbook in the Old Testament. He says, sing some hymns, songs that are steeped in deep theological meaning, doctrinal truth. We're going to sing about our sin. And we're going to sing songs that talk about the coming of the Lord and the judgment of the Lord. And we're going to sing songs about God because he's worthy of that. But then also he tells us to sing spiritual songs. This is fresh expressions of our hearts poured out to God. 
So many times in scripture, God tells us, sing a new song to the Lord. Even in the heavenly places, they're constantly singing a new song to the Lord because he is a God who makes all things new. And as he changes our lives and as he changes our hearts and as he moves in our lives and in our spirit, we pour out our souls with a fresh expression of our heart. Songs should never replace the word of God in worship, but with the word of God, songs become a vehicle for adoration that is near to the heart of God. But the third step is we get washed with the word in our worship journey. The third step is we get washed with the word. Is this submission, is submitting to the surrender that we need the end game of worship? That's a, that's a necessary step in the process. But man, that's not, that's not the end game. This morning when we sang, we sang the lines, when I was your foe, still your love fought for me. At some point in your process, in your journey of worship, when you gather with the body of Christ, you got to realize that, man, I, I'm a foe of God. I'm an enemy of God apart from Jesus Christ. And so we submit to our need to surrender, but we don't stop there. The, the team this morning started to wash us with the word. They started to read Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, there's nowhere I can go from your presence. Lord, even the darkness isn't dark to you. Where can I hide? Where can I flee? You created me in my mother's womb. And they began to wash us with the word of God. And we get our eyes off of ourself and our sinfulness and our need. And we start to get our eyes up. When you got past the altar in the tabernacle, you went a little further, there was what was known as the laver, okay? Talks about it in Exodus. It was this big bronze bowl full of water, probably looked like a bird bath, if that's what God was going for, I don't know. And uh, the, the priests, before they went further into the tabernacle, they always stopped at the laver. And two things were happening. They looked into the reflection of the water and they saw their humanness. They saw their neediness. They saw their uncleanliness. And they dipped their hands into the water of the laver as if to wash themselves clean before doing the work of the Lord. And so it is with the word of God for you and I every single time we meet in the assembly of God's people. We look into this book and it is a mirror that reveals our sinfulness. It reveals our need for God. It reveals that we fall short of his great glory. And as we read it and as we get it in our hearts and as we allow it to dwell in our minds, the Lord begins to wash us clean of our iniquity. Not only is our worship that's founded on truth consistent with the revealed word of God, that's a great place, but that's not the end game. Worship that is founded on truth has to be worship that is centered on the word made flesh. So we begin to get our eyes up as we're washed with the word after we've surrendered. But John 1.1 1, 1 says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That's talking about Jesus Christ. Our worship is centered always and forever on Jesus Christ. 
Listen to what it says in Romans 5, 2. Through him, through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The only reason that the people of God can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God is because Jesus has granted us access because of his cross. These are important distinctives of our church. Let me, let, me, let me fire through them real quick. Important distinctives. What we do here on Sunday is not for you. Okay, we got that. What we do here on Sunday is for God. Everything that we do here is for the glory of God. Number three, we are a Jesus church. We're a Jesus church. We're gonna put Jesus on display. Everything that we're doing is for the fame and the renown of Jesus Christ. I love that on that wall back there, when you come in our lobby, it just says Jesus on that wall. I hope it never goes away, even when we move buildings and all of that, because that is the main thing. Man, without Jesus, we have absolutely nothing and no business being here together. But with Jesus, we have everything because he's worthy of our worship. It centers on Jesus. And then finally, we're a gospel-centered church. We're a gospel-centered church. The message of the gospel, the hope found in the gospel has to be celebrated every time we gather to glorify as the body of Christ. And when that's the center, when that's what we're all about, when that's the point of our gathering, we're gonna find everything that we need we're going to find all that we need through his word. We're going to find all that we need in his presence. We're going to be transformed in the process. But it's not about us. It's about him. That takes us to the fourth step in our worship journey, the glory of the gospel, the glory of the gospel. I've been convicted of this even in service planning over the last couple of years, because as you walk, you get washed with the word and we surrender and we get a heart changing attitude. But man, as you got into the tabernacle, you, you always came up to this veil. In the Old Testament, you kind of, no one went beyond the veil except maybe the high priest and they were scared to do it because they tied a rope to their ankle because if they saw the glory of God, they were probably going to fall on their face dead, okay? But, but something happened when Jesus came to our world. In Mark 15, 38, it says this, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Man couldn't do that, but God because of what his son Jesus did at the cross, he tore that separation. He tore that veil so that we might have access to his presence. We have to proclaim the glory of the gospel together. Our services must in some way, shape, or form always celebrate that hope that has changed our lives. I want you to listen to Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Pastor Wes already prayed it this morning. But notice the vertical language that starts to take place in this passage. Uh, some say that this may have been a hymn of the early church. Okay, so Paul writes this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Uh, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. 
For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, gospel, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, gospel, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That is the gospel message, and the cross grants us access to the Holy of Holies alone. The cross made a way for us to boldly approach God's throne. The cross made a way for us to come as we are and give worth to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Crossless worship is no worship at all. And so every time we gather to glorify, we put the gospel and its glory on display because it has changed us from the inside out. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Nobody check out. I got a whole other point to preach. I'm just getting warmed up here. (laughs) But I need the band at the end. But point number three is this. Our worship is high impact. Our worship is high impact. If you've been coming here from the beginning of this church, um, we've always said that we're going after high impact, earth-shattering, earth-shattering, window-rattling, life-altering, high-impact worship services. That's what our children are going for. That's what we're going for every time we gather in here. And what that means is this is a participation practice, not a spectator sport. I say practice because when we get to heaven, this is what we're going to do for all of eternity. And it's going to be awesome. But God's already invited us into it. So let's practice with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength today. But how do we make our services high impact? We show and tell of God's saving power. Some of the ways we do that in worship, we might, rather than sing a song, we might sing a show a God at Work video. And you see a testimony of somebody's life, how it was, how they surrendered and how they were washed with the word and they proclaimed the glory of the gospel. And when you see that in a worship service, you just want to stand and proclaim, right? You want to respond to the truth. Another way we do it is baptisms. What an awesome picture of what God does in bringing us from death to life. And we share those testimonies and you want to stand in worship. One way in worship that we often make it high impact is we read and share. I know it makes people uncomfortable when you're asked, hey, hey, find a scripture and uh, go share it with somebody in the worship service today. I see some people like, every time we do that, I get more comments of how God met somebody specifically because of the word that someone read. Isn't that awesome? Because when we're willing to wash one another with the word of God in our worship gatherings and not just spectate and not just look on, God delights in showing up. We celebrate communion. What a great way to remember his death and his resurrection. But as great as the glory of the gospel is, I still say there's one more step that we can take. And that's the pinnacle of our praise. The pinnacle of our praise. The place that we're going for every single time we get together as the people of God in the presence of God. Singing the praise of God. Because pure worship is vertical worship. Pure worship is vertical worship. Worship that says nothing of you or me or us. It's not songs that ask God for anything. It's not moments of even telling one another what God has done for us. Every chance we have to gather, we're going for a place of pure, ascriptive, simple adoration of the Lamb of God who was slain. That's what we find at the top of the hill of the Lord. That's what we find behind the veil. 
That's what we find in Revelation 4 and 5. John gives us the pinhole view of the kind of worship that God is seeking. And these angels gather around the throne. And they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. They cast down their crowns. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. And they sang a new song. I can't imagine the new songs in heaven. They got to be saving some chords for us up there. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So we've built this solid journey for our corporate gatherings and worship. So you get to church, worship leaders like, hey, welcome to Gospel City. We've waited for this day. We're gathered in your name, calling out to you. And you're like, nah, I don't want any part of that. Man, I just rolled out of bed. I'm just here because I'm supposed to be. And then it's like, you're the reason we're here. Oh yeah, I'm not here for myself. I'm here for the glory of God. You know, you know I, I'll join in. I'll let the Lord start to speak to my heart. I'll get the attitude of access. And then before long, you're probably going to hear something like, and give us clean hands and give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Oh man, I, I needed that. Lord, Lord, I need forgiveness. Lord, I, I need to submit and surrender because Lord, I need forgiven for my sin. Lord, I, I need forget, forgive me for my negativity. Lord, forgive me for the way that I talked to my wife this morning when they parked me in the back in the mud. <laughs> forgive me for how I checked my kids into church. But is this the end game of our worship journey? Like me knelt down looking at myself, Lord, I'm so needy, I'm poor and needy. No, the worship team, they start to read, there's nowhere you can go from his presence. God is faithful. He's good. He's just. The team might sing scripture over us. I lift my eyes up. My help comes from the Lord. Oh, I don't have to stay down there. Man, scripture tells me I can get my eyes off of my sin, off of my needs and onto God. So I lift my eyes up. My help comes from the Lord. And then how great the chasm that lay between us. Remember that veil? How high the mountain I could not climb. Man, we're proclaiming the glory of the gospel at this point and everything else is starting to fade into the background because of what Jesus did on the cross. I don't have to stay down there. Jesus took my sin. Jesus took my penalty. Jesus shed his blood so that I might come as I am. And I, I still, I, I, it, that's awesome. That's awesome. Every single time we gather, we need the glory of the gospel. But I say there's another step to take. And when we get to this place, everything along this journey, 
the things we were convicted of a few moments ago, the prayers that we were praying a few moments ago, me saying, Lord, I need you, please forgive me, me trying to get my eyes up, all of that begins to fade into the background because my eyes are locked and loaded on a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and he's worthy of our praise, and he's worthy of all the honor and all the power and all the glory and all the praise that we can give. That's our God. That's what we're after every time we gather to glorify in the house of God. We're not singing, Lord, I need you at the top of the hill. The only thing left to sing is holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and worthy, worthy. Come on, you declare it in this place like you believe it this morning. All of heaven joins the universe, ever crying, worthy, worthy. Come on, let's shout it loud in this place. He's worthy and holy. 